0: Let us pray. And now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts here together in this place be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I just want to thank you for having me here this morning. I'm very excited to be here. I'm very honored to be here. Uh, I, I wanted to just... Dr. Garland said that the... the The song that we started with was in our, um, mine and Josh's wedding, uh, but also the song that we sang um, just moments ago was one that I sang with our um, families in South Africa just the week before last, and we didn't communicate that at all, so I just feel really at home right now, and I'm very grateful for that, and I want to thank you. I have a lot of memories in this chapel. I was taught here. I've grown spiritually here, academically here. I've been in ordinations and weddings of friends of mine here, and I was married in this chapel. I've, I've heard the word preached here by many great preachers, by Dr. Garland, by Hewlett Glower, by N.T. Wright, Bill Pinson, um, many others. But I also got to hear one of my classmates uh, receive her award here for her great preaching in this chapel. But I want to tell you, I'm not here this morning because of my greatness as a preacher And I'm not here because of the sermon that I have to preach, but I'm here because I want to share with you the sermon that God preaches to me every day, the sermon that God preaches to me through the lives of people that he's allowed me to work with in South Africa in a ministry that I'm humbled to be a part of, in a ministry that touches the lives of hundreds of people every day. Uh, Many people receive the love of Christ through this ministry that had nothing to do, we didn't start the ministry, we just get to be a part of it. So I want to share today with you the message that God preaches to me. When we hear the name of God, we hear the greatness in that name. We know there's greatness in that name. We know that God is greater than we could ever comprehend. We know that God manifests himself in many different ways, and we know that God is love. And it's only from the perspective of a Trinitarian God that we can actually claim that God is love because we have to have something to love. And God is love because God is never alone. It's the love relationships between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and that united together in love. And that love, is that's, that's what we call Trinity. So how can the three be one? It's because they're united together in love. And God is community. God's community and has been since before time. That's why we're called to be in community. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they live in each other. They don't live among each other or near each other. They live in each other. This is something that I battle to teach my small kids and my my parents, but something that you get every day so we don't have to spend too much time on. But the best part of the Trinitarian doctrine is when Trinitarian doctrine intersects our day-to-day. And that's where we're called to live in this love relationship with God and where we're called to invite others to live in this love relationship. uh, John records that Jesus said, The Father lives in me, and I live in the Father. He then later records when Jesus is praying to the Father before he's arrested, Jesus prayed, I pray also for those who will believe in me. Through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even As you have loved me. What a gift, right? What an incredible invitation and offer that regardless of our nationality, of our age, of our race, our gender, an invitation for everyone who's created in the image of our creator to live in this love relationship. And as one who lives in this love relationship, that's all that I want. That's all that I want to do with my life is to allow God to use me to invite others into the love relationship of the triune God. God is love. This is why anything outside of love is outside of God. There's no room for anything other than love in the love relationship. Love that breaks down walls of hate, of segregation, or superiority, or entitlement. The triune God might be more than we can actually fully comprehend, but in its simplest form, God is love. And that's what we're called to do. Living, in love and inviting others into that. So we're going to look at this morning, how, how do we do that? If you'll turn with me in it to uh, Micah chapter 6 in your Bibles. This is the point um, in my Bible studies with my kids that I have them sing the books of the Bible song, but I'm going to spare you that, unless you want to. Micah is sharing the hope for the remnant of Israel. He asks Israel what pleases the Lord. It's not their sacrifices, it's not their offerings, but rather he says in verse 8, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This was the message of Yahweh for the people of Israel. And this is the message of our holy, loving Father for us, his children are called by his name. The sermon that God preaches to me instructs me and teaches me to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God each step of the way. The Israelites were told to act justly, and they had whole books of the law to teach them how to do this. They had books that taught them how to love their neighbors and how to love God in a way that pleased God. They had a law that God had given them and God expected them to follow it. And we have example after example of what happens when they chose not to do that. But the prophets such as Isaiah and Zechariah, they speak of God's judgment on the Israelites because they ignored the plight of the widows, of the orphans, and of the resident aliens. And these are the people that were living in material poverty. They were judged because they did not act justly towards those in need. But the God who acts justly helps us to understand that this is not the same justice that the world might require of us. Let's take Hosea for example. Hosea acted justly in the eyes of God towards his wife. And he just continued in that relationship, whereas the world would have said to turn turn their back on that relationship. The world would not have put up with that. Micah tells the Israelites to act justly. He says, this is what is required of you. This is what is expected of you. And that's what is expected of us. We may not follow a list of laws that are laid out on stone tablets, but Jesus sums it up when he says that what's required of us is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, and our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're told to act justly. And this is the message that God preaches to me, to love in an unjust world. To love justice in an unjust world. God gave me great love for one of our home-based caregivers. Her name's is Luleka. And one of the great privileges in ministry I feel is to get to walk the last leg of the earthly journey uh, with people. To walk with them in death. And Luleka came to me one day and she was completely devastated. She had learned that her husband of 11 years and the father of her two children had been cheating on her and this is what she was upset about. But the way that she found out was that she had gone to get an HIV test and it had come back positive and she knew that she had been faithful so there was only one way that she could have contracted the illness. Now in many parts of the world AIDS has become a chronic disease. Here it's a chronic disease. Whereas in Africa the majority of the people still suffer because it's a terminal illness. It's not a chronic disease yet. And the next few months for Luleka, for us, were filled with doctor's appointments, and she was in and out of the hospital. And the last time that she was in the hospital, we had the feeling that she wasn't coming home. She had TB. She had PCP. It's an infection of the lungs. And we went to the hospital every few days to check on her to bring her food. That's not provided in the hospital. And we quickly learned that she was not going to receive the care and the treatment that she needed. There were days that she was non-responsive. We'd go in and she'd just be laying comatose in her bed with her eyes open. She was laying in her own vomit. No one was changing her bedding. So I'd come in and she'd be laying in her vomit. No one was changing her diaper. In late stages of AIDS, adults wear diapers. No one was changing her. She wasn't getting the medicine that she needed because she was throwing it up. But they wouldn't give her IV treatment. Cleaning her and changing her... And changing her bedding and her diaper, all of that became my job. And we had a nurse that we worked with who would come and meet us at the hospital regularly to help teach me how to do some of these things. They didn't teach me that here at Truett. <laughs> the love that we had for Luleka gave me the strength that I needed to keep doing these things that I was normally not comfortable doing. That was not something that I was comfortable with. But we cared for her until we received the call from the nurse that she'd passed away. And then we buried her. But the lessons learned and the love there stay with me. I feel like when God teaches us to love, he builds our capacity to love. And once that happens, that can't be undone. Micah instructed the Israelites to love mercy. Or in some translations, it says to love kindness. We have plenty of accounts when the Israelites chose not to love kindness. But we do have one account that I think is highlighted and I think of, when I think of the loving kindness, I think of Ruth and her care for Naomi. And I think of the selflessness that Ruth had for Naomi and her care and attention to her. And true kindness and mercy helps us to grow together in Christ. The words that Ruth gives to Naomi are words that are often used between husband and wife now in marriage ceremonies. And Ruth said, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. This is what we get to experience when we love mercy and kindness. The message that God preaches to me is one that makes me so thankful for mercy and love and as you go somewhere new and you learn a new culture you hope that other people have received the same message of mercy from God when we moved to South Africa in 2005 um, about a a little less than a year later a friend of ours another home-based caregiver passed away and we went to the funeral and we'd been to funerals there before but no one that we were really that as close to and we were with all of our home-based caregivers and after singing for about an hour and praying uh, we were at the burial site, and a lot of the men, but not all of them, go and they pick up shovels, and they begin filling in the grave. Now, I've been to a lot of funerals here, and somebody's paid to do that, right? You know, we just leave that for later because we have, we have time of mourning, and we just do it a little bit differently. But when these men went and, picked, and start, picked up the shovels and started shoveling in the dirt, we assumed that these were people that were asked to do so ahead of time, kind of like pallbearers. You know, you make those arrangements beforehand, and not all of the men were doing it. So Josh continued with me singing and praying with everybody else for the next hour. The next week, we're in with our caregivers doing some debriefing and, and discussion around all that's happened over the last week, and they're very hurt. And they let us know that they expected Josh to have come and shoveled dirt into that grave. And we explained to them that we didn't know that that was our role. We thought that, that we explained to them how it works here, that people are asked to do that kind of a thing, and you know just asked for a little bit of, of insight and understanding of how it works. And they were very gracious, and thankfully that they, they felt comfortable enough to discuss it with us. And so we were able to have that time of discussion. And it helped us to understand them a little bit better. And it helped them to understand us a little bit better. And it also um, helped them to know to teach us along the way. And so they became um, many of our great teachers in that. And our relationship with them was able to grow because of that instance. The third thing that Micah instructs the people on is to walk humbly with God. Humility is a hard lesson to learn. And the Israelites, we know, learned it over and over Again, every time they alienated God and chose their own way. It was humiliating for Joseph's brothers to stand in his presence after learning who he was. This brother that they thought they had gotten rid of now rising to a position of power and authority over them. To be the children of God is to know your place. There's no rising above the Father. There's no being greater than God. There are hard lessons to learn along the way. Many times we have to learn these lessons over and over again, but learning humility in God does not come without grace. God's message of humility is one that I have had to learn over and over again, especially when you work in instances of life and death and you just have to learn that you don't know what to do, that we didn't learn that in seminary. One of our home-based caregivers in Tabba Singh, she became pregnant And she was admitted to the hospital. She was going to deliver a baby boy, and they had to do a C-section. And C-sections in the government hospital there are still done the old way, which is an incision vertically uh, all the way up the abdomen. So she went in, she had her C-section, she came home, and we learned very quickly there was something wrong. She'd contracted TB while on the ward in the hospital, and she'd also became septic. She had a high fever and something wasn't right, so we took her back in and found out that the doctors had left gauze in her abdomen when they'd sewn her back up. So she she was septic, so they had to leave her wound open and let it heal that way. Uh, So they had to keep her in the hospital for a while. They said she was going to be there for a few months. And after she'd been there three or four days, I received a phone call from her on a Sunday afternoon and said that she was being sent home due to strikes in the hospitals. All the hospitals in the city had closed, and they were just sending people out. Those who couldn't make it past the door died in the parking lot. But they sent her home uh, to die. And by God's grace, we, I was on my way to go change her dressing myself. But by God's grace, we had uh, some friends visiting us. And a nurse practitioner, Liz, was there. And so I explained everything to her. And even the fact that Ntaba Singh was pregnant uh, sorry, that she was HIV positive, that she had AIDS. And explained everything to her and asked if she would be willing to come with me. And of course, she came and she even took me to the store beforehand showed me exactly what to buy, took me over there, showed me how to change the dressing so that the wound would heal properly. What she couldn't teach me was how not to gag, because like I said, this is not my thing, and uh, septic wounds are for somebody else. Um, But we were um, going back and forth every day then to change the wound, and when Liz left, then I was able to do that myself. And we, we started with a wound this size on her abdomen, and it shrunk down to about the size of a dime, and then eventually closed up. And I was able to take her to get her HIV treatment and her TB treatment, and she was able to see her son's first birthday. But we must remember to live in that love relationship because because God works in community. It's not something that I could have done alone. I had to learn really quickly uh, to be humble and to accept the fact that God needed to use others as well, and we worked together, and she was able to be healed. Our service, our ministry, this should all be the outflowing of love. It should be the outflowing of God. If you remember the words in the letter to the Corinthians, without love we are nothing. We have nothing. So love should be all that we seek. Love is everything, but it isn't as easy as it sounds. We know that. This is why God offers us grace. God has had to have a lot of grace with me. I don't always see what God is doing, and I tend to complain, even if it's just to myself or in my prayers. One day, our caregivers took me out to visit a lady who was suffering with TB. She was HIV positive. And they were explaining to me that they were worried that if she needed any assistance or care, that people were going to have a hard time getting to her. So we parked at the top of the informal settlement. It was about a mile and a half from the lady's house. We hiked down the dirt paths. You have to be careful to step around the, the raw sewage that flows down the paths. We get to the steep hill, and we had to get down the steep hill and cross the river, hopping across the stones to get to the other side. And again, you don't want to fall in because it's raw sewage. And at that point, I'm beginning to realize why my caregivers are so concerned, because if this woman needed any assistance— The same way that we got in is the same way any paramedic who's not going to come or any friend would have to go in and then carry her out on their back. So we get to the woman's shack, her little 8x8 shack. She offers us to come in. She has nothing other than her shack. Usually people will even scrounge up food or anything they can to give you. She had nothing. So she offers us seats on her bed. She borrows buckets from the neighbors, and we sit on the buckets. And I ask her, I say, how are you? And she says, God is good. I can't complain. And for all the complaining that I had done in my head on the way down there, I know that God has grace. And I know that God used this woman to teach me this lesson of humility and to offer me his grace. This is the sermon that God preaches to me, constantly reminding me that I'm here for one purpose, And that's to love others in a way that they can see the light in me. That they might know the love of their Savior. That they might one day choose to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul. That they can learn to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with their God. This is not something that's done in solitude. It's not something that's done by one person or by one family or even by one church. I think it's much greater than that. It's people... And churches from all around the world joining together to participate in God's mission around the world. And we're so blessed, Josh and I, to be a part of this network. It's a network of churches, of individuals, of um, groups, of organizations that have come together. We call it the South Africa Network. And it's groups that come and work together doing, to see and be a part of what God is already doing in South Africa. It's humbling to see what God can do when we gather in community. when we seek to see what God is doing rather than to always be creating our own missions or ministries. We, we work with churches all over, and they have plenty of money and plenty of people that they can start their own things, but instead they want to, just as we have done, get involved with ministries that are local, that people locally are already doing. We have a church in Fort Worth that's a part of this network, and every Thursday night they have a fellowship meal. They call it their agape meal. And they invite the community To this table that's beautifully um, decorated, beautifully set, and they have really good food, and it's people in the community who are in need, and they come and they have a fellowship meal together. They decided to extend this meal to us in South Africa, and so for the last year and a half, we've had an extension of their table every Wednesday night. Time change, you know, Wednesday night. So every Wednesday night, we have this meal with the whole community of Refilway. We're about 80 people. And that church in Fort Worth, Texas, is able to minister to us in that way. We also have groups that join us from around the world at different times, from Canada, from the U.S., from the U.K. And so the church in Fort Worth hosts churches from around the world as well at their table in South Africa. It is being loved to everyone that we encounter that allows us, allows people to see the light in us. It allows us to be, have the opportunity to bring people into that fellowship that we were talking about. When people ask me what I think about poverty, I tell them of the people that I know and I love that are impoverished. When people ask me about homosexuals, I tell them about the people that I know and I love that are homosexual. When they ask me about the rich or the addicts or the teenage moms, teenage pregnant girls, I tell them of the people that I know and I love because that is all that I'm called to do. I wasn't created by the God of the universe so that I could solve humanity's theological problems. I wish I could. Or so that I could affirm people's personal prejudices. We have been created to be a part of the love relationship that is God. This is not always easy. Ministry isn't easy. But God always sends us just what we need to keep on going. There is one moment that I often think of and recall to help me keep on going in difficult times. I teach weekly Bible studies for each of the kids at the children's home. I've divided them up into three different age groups. We could stand to do with more than that, but I can't teach more than that. Divide them up into three different age groups. And until we opened the Children's Center in January, for the last year and a half, we've been having them meet in our house. And one day I had just the preteen girls, and we'd been talking about the story when Moses' mother takes Moses and puts him in the basket in the river in order to save his life. And I asked for prayer requests then at the end, and we always see what everybody's, you know, what's going on with everybody, what they want prayer for. And one of the little girls, Mavis, says that she misses her mom. And she's only been there for about three months at that time. So I knew the other kids, the other girls, were going through the same thing, especially that age group. And I asked, I said, you know, is anybody else feeling the same way? And they said yes, so they got to talk about that for a little bit. But I didn't want to end on a sad note. So I asked, what was their favorite thing about being at Refillway? And the same little girl, Mavis, now remember, at Refillway we have lots of donors, lots of parties, lots of gifts. The kids have their own beds that they sleep in by themselves. But the favorite thing of her, of Mavis, when I asked that was, she said, this is where I met God. This is why we have to be the love of Christ. This is why we have to share and bring other people into that love relationship. We need to love others in a way that they see the light, that they experience the love, so that they might know the love of their Savior, that they might love justice, act mercifully, and and to walk humbly with God. This is the sermon that God preaches to me every day. It's one of love. He preaches to me through the lives of the people that he's called me to love. I don't know how God chooses to preach to you, but I'm sure if you listen, the message is the same. A message of love preached by the one who loves each and every one of us in a way that we cannot comprehend. So that's what I challenge you with. That's what I hope for you today is that you can find the way that God preaches to you and hear it every day. Let us pray. Almighty God, you who are love, we cannot begin to fathom the magnitude of the invitation that you have given to each one of us. You created each of us in your image, and although we are sinners, you have covered our debt in a way that we might enter into this divine unity. Lord, give us each the ears to hear your message And grant us the mercy to live in your light, sharing your love with those you bring into our lives. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, with a love that we do not comprehend. And Lord, forgive us when we fall short. And grant us the wisdom to walk humbly in your way. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.